Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Brother Vincent Bernhard. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. On this program, we're going to speak about being a Catholic in the hospital, being a Catholic, especially if you have a serious illness. And today, I'm joined by Brother Vincent Bernhard, who's one of our student brothers in the Dominican Order, who has just completed a summer of hospital chaplain training. He is interning here at Ohio State University Medical Center, and it's a, it's a way f- to um, for us to reflect together on the very important ministry that being a chaplain is, and what a chaplain's perspective is on how to face suffering well, even how to prepare for death well. So, Brother Vincent, what's what are what are one of the most important things you've been able to talk to the people about in the hospital? Well, one thing I talk about is just that um, being a good person is not necessarily good enough all the time. Mm -hmm. And that when I go door to door and offer people the sacraments, especially communion and access to confession with the chaplain, that some people say no. And Mm -hmm. often enough, the reason is they say, well, I'm a good enough person. I don't need the Mm -hmm. sacraments. You know, God, I do my best and God will be happy with where I'm at. Um, but this is not quite—I mean, I think what this speaks to is kind of lost what the sacraments mean, and we kind of sell ourselves short when it comes to the sacraments, and we forget the power of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so I try to talk to people a lot about that, is that it's not just about doing our best, that we can't just do our best to get into heaven, but that we kind of have to be transformed in grace and through the sacraments, mm-hmm. and that we need the sacraments to do that. Right, and we see even in the Gospels, we see Jesus using things that— are not just simply words, but actually actions, things that are rituals. Exactly. Uh, at one point in the gospel, he sends out his disciples to cast out evil spirits, to preach repentance, and to anoint the sick with oil. Mm-hmm. This is in the gospel of Mark for their healing. <clears throat> we see that Jesus lays his hands on people. We know that Jesus um, feeds the hungry. Um, and before he feeds the hungry by dividing the loaves and fishes, he first has a ritual. He he gives thanks to his father. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he he breaks the bread, gives it to his disciples who give it to the people. We see that same ritual. So obviously, the Lord intended us to have um, not simply good intentions and and words, but actually actions through which He would help us. Right. And another aspect of it too, along with this, is. Uh, 
I think there's an American mentality here of, mm-hmm. you know, I can do it myself and God mm-hmm. will just reward me right. for what I did. And it's that image of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, right. uh, which if you think about it is kind of a funny image because if you actually try to do that, you'll probably fall over. You actually can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't true. pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, and it's the same way with the spiritual life. We can't pull ourselves up to heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually need help. And I think part of it is that acknowledging that we need help to do that is kind of contrary to the American mentality of, uh, you know, just working hard and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, doing your best and, you know, kind of pushing through. Um, and so I think that that's something too with the sacraments where it's like, they don't see the power of it. They don't see these rituals as being any mm-hmm. way enriching right. at the same time. They don't want to acknowledge that they need the help. It's almost like, Oh, I'm doing fine on my own. Yeah. Do you ever find people who feel like they're not worthy of the sacraments or worried that they're not, well prepared, is that is that or is that less of an issue usually? That happens actually quite a bit. Uh, the other reasons that people would refuse sacraments is that they're honest with themselves, mm-hmm. and you know, these are Catholics, people mm-hmm. who identify as Catholic. Let's say I haven't been to mass in a while, mm-hmm. or I'm in an irregular situation in my marriage, mm-hmm. or something like that, and so they're like, I shouldn't, you know, I'm not worthy, or I'm not. I think someone once said, uh, I'm, the sacraments are not applicable. Like I'm not applicable for the sacraments, mm-hmm. or or something like this. Um, and in those cases, it's nice because I can kind of push through and be like, well, you know, we, God is still calling you to the sacraments, mm-hmm. even through all of this. And you can go start going back to church on Mondays. We can talk about your marriage and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so some people are actually, yeah, very honest with themselves and realize, yeah. like, I know I can't uh, uh, do that. Whether or not it's a legalistic issue or whether it's because of unworthiness, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But it's definitely a starting place as far as speaking with them. Right. And as, as my canon law teacher told me at the house of studies you know he reminded us more than once in danger of death all bets are off that's right exactly <laughs> someone is dying even if they're in a irregular marriage you know um they can still receive the sacraments because it's that important exactly the that's right wants to give her children you know these great gifts that were given to us by god himself that we might receive the great divine help in mm-hmm. life that god gives us through the sacraments and that relates to another thing um, about facing suffering. Um, everyone, uh, in one way or another, eventually has to face suffering, but people in a hospital in a very particular way um, end up experiencing and facing their own suffering, even their own brutality. That's right. Yeah, and that's another big lesson I've learned this summer in the hospital is just seeing how God uses suffering to make us holy and to make mm-hmm. us saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I deal a lot with cancer patients, mm-hmm. and that's a very serious sickness uh, across the board. And some people are, you know, they're tempted to ask, like, why me? Why this? What did I do to deserve this? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus gives meaning to our suffering. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, he entered into our suffering. And so it's a challenge for us that we can uh, unite our sufferings to our Lord and that we suffer with him on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I've often used the image of a father allowing his son to go through difficulties and different challenges in mm-hmm. life. And we've all experienced this with our fathers. And he could spare his son. A father could spare his son or his daughter. But in his wisdom, he knows what his son needs and how he can grow through this particular mm-hmm. challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a very human thing. And mm-hmm. God is like that. He's a father who's bringing us to full maturity as saints. Mm-hmm. He's making us perfect through our suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we've never really met a saint who's never suffered, right? Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> Somehow those things always go together. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes uh, suffering means that God, it's proof that God loves us. Like you think of St. Mm-hmm. Therese, who died of tuberculosis and suffered mm-hmm. a lot there at the end. Mm-hmm. But she's the great apostle of love. You know, mm-hmm. she's the great right. saint of love. And she saw how God was loving her even in the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that. I've seen God use suffering in the hospital in very clear ways. Uh, for instance, there was a middle-aged woman once. She told me that she had been suffering from cancer and other ailments and she was very young and had suffered a lot over mm-hmm. her life. Uh, and the whole time she wondered, like, what did I do when I was so mm-hmm. young that God right. is angry with me? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. She couldn't figure out any other reason for her suffering except for God was angry with her. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful moment to preach God's love to her and what God does with suffering. And mm-hmm. she was kind of freed from that in a way. For the first mm-hmm. time, she's able to see wow. perhaps God's actually loving me and making me better through this in a particular way, making me into a saint. Mm-hmm. Um, so realizing that suffering is not fun and <laughs> doesn't mm-hmm. always make sense, but that God can still work through suffering and still mm-hmm. makes us better through suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've seen people um, who've who've suffered in such a way that they, that they do, they, it's, they, they're experiencing pain and it's clear, but they, but they're somehow able to, um, to realize that, that this has meaning that, um, you know, that, that they still see God through it. Yeah. And, and I, and I think sometimes you see that suffering has a very powerful and immediate way of sort of helping us sort out what's really most important. Yeah. You know, um, someone who has great suffering from a chronic illness, you know, things that are very frivolous tend immediately to be (laughs) (laughs) pushed to the side, you know, whether because you simply can't do them or you realize that there's something more immediate and, and sometimes suffering can, can put you in touch with that, with that, with that reality of, of, uh, of, of the one the one who is greater than all suffering, the one who has overcome our suffering, the one who has risen mm-hmm. after the very, you know, the very, the very death that's, that's our destiny as, as, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Right. And sometimes in these serious moments, especially with uh, cancer patients uh, who are really suffering, is that you know, sometimes the only thing I can say is just cling to Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes when things are most bleak, right. it's like the most you can do is just hold on for dear life and just trust right. God and just trust that he's doing something in his wisdom. Right. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Brother Vincent Bernhard, and we've been discussing um, a chaplain's perspective of being in the hospital as a Catholic. What are some of the most important things that we can know and learn about suffering, especially in the hospital. And we've spoken about how important the sacraments are, that um, God did not want us simply to rely on our own resources. Uh, he, he gave us great gifts to help us, uh, we, which you see their roots even in the gospel, such as the anointing of the sick with oil. And we've been talking, uh, secondly, about how um, suffering can actually make us holy, how in some cases we can actually see that suffering can be a sign of God's love. It certainly doesn't always seem so at the time. And sometimes the suffering is so great that a person can barely even concentrate or can barely even pray. 
I know that you can find, um, they're called wooden holding crosses. Mm -hmm. They're like little wooden crosses that are kind of shaped so that you can hold on to them in your hand. And as a kind of prayer, you know, just holding on to that cross maybe is a very kind of tangible, visceral way in which you're connecting your suffering to the cross of Christ, even if you can barely put, you know, two thoughts together. Yeah, we read in the scriptures about it, too. Like in Hebrews, uh, we hear that God disciplines those whom he loves. Mm -hmm. And you think uh, Christ learned obedience through suffering Mm -hmm. on the cross. We hear about that. And just the the fact that suffering and love can go together Mm -hmm. uh, is interesting to think about, something to meditate Mm -hmm. on. But in the spiritual life, it's something that's very freeing to realize that God's still working, that we're not alone in our suffering. Right. Right. Some people in the in the hospital will hold on to a rosary too. Yeah. You know, we know the sorrowful mysteries in a way they're sorrowful, but they're not they're not sad, you know, in the yeah, sense of yeah. just something that we have to get through to get to the glorious. I mean, they have their own beauty, they have their own meaning. And when we when we reflect on those mysteries of Christ's agony in the garden, his anxiety is looking forward to the suffering that he was about to undergo. Uh when we look at um you know, the great pain that he suffered at the you know at the scourging and the crowning with thorns um the great endurance and you know and emptiness he felt as he you know was dying upon the cross you know we we see that in this it's not something something simply something to make us shudder and turn away it's something that makes us realize that Christ changed um what would normally be a horrible tragedy into a very powerful expression of love. Yeah, and great hope. And great hope, too. Yeah. And uh, a a third thing we can learn from the hospital is connected to the cross. Yeah. Awareness of death, right? Right. Yeah, I think we live in a society now that kind of wants to hide death as much Mm -hmm. as possible, and we want to kind of forget about death. Uh, I'm not saying that we need to have like a morbid obsession with death or the fact that we're going to die one day. Um, but it's always been part of the Christian tradition that it's healthy to realize that our time in this world is going to end, and that even this world is going to end one day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That we're kind of pilgrims in this veil of tears, as it were. Mm-hmm. That we're meant to pass through, but that we have a hope for something greater right. after death. Right. Yeah, Jesus, when he was telling his apostles, beginning to tell them about his own death, which would be the culmination of his mission of redemption, um, he said, I have a baptism with which I am to be baptized. Right. You know, even from the very moment we're very little children, you know, we're already in a way thinking about death. You know, we're being symbolically plunged under the water, at least have water poured over us to wash us as a reminder that we will one day be plunged into our own death. You know, the, that 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 death which is the result of, of the sin of our first parents um, but we believe that that is not the end that's only the crossing right and it's really the moment where I don't know rubber meets road as it were mm-hmm. in the spiritual life it's like I I say I believe in heaven I mm-hmm. believe in eternal life I believe in God I believe in the resurrection of the dead right I right. say all these things do I really believe in it I spend a lot of time in the chaplain who I work with spends a lot of time reminding people of heaven mm-hmm. that heaven is real because we tend to forget yes. that sometimes right um, and I've seen death kind of play out in a variety of ways which mm-hmm. is interesting uh, for instance there was um, 
someone who was not really ready for death, but suddenly it was kind of there, mm-hmm. uh, and he had to face it. And so kind of walking through like the shock of having to say goodbye to family, mm-hmm. for instance, or having yeah. to prepare to meet the Lord face to face. That's one situation. Another where uh, someone died suddenly, leaving two mm-hmm. high school children. This was back in May. And that was sad, too, because there's suddenly this shock of and this grief of someone suddenly being gone. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it was cool to see how they were able to lean on grace and on mm-hmm. faith and the life they had been living. And even some of the words that they were saying in their grief were just like short snippets of different Catholic prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when all other words failed, um, that they were able to lean on the faith and on what the church had given them. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, at the beginning of the summer, I was able to know uh, get to know a woman who was dying uh, and get to know her husband. And she had fought well but realized that death was inevitable right? Uh, and that it was coming. And she had lived a good life. She had lots of family. She would be missed. But she was able to talk about you know heaven, and she was able to realize that she has this hope and that this is an end, and she was able to die a few weeks later uh, in peace. Uh, wow. and in hope of the resurrection. And so that was like seeing a death go well. Mm. And uh, within the sacraments, like she received all the sacraments. So yeah. it plays out in different ways, but it's just remembering that, you know, death is real. It's going mm-hmm. to happen. I'm not going to be here forever. Right. And knowing that end, that death is going to come, we can live well Right. in the meantime. Right, right. Yeah. Um and there's this kind of a, I guess, a balance, you know, there's some people that just never think of death, almost, you know, deny that yeah. it's going to happen um, or just keep pushing it out of their mind. There's other people that are morbidly preoccupied with it. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe fewer people in that second category. Yeah. But once when I was in college, I was at uh, Franciscan University's Austria program and we were living at what was for centuries a Carthusian monastery. Right. And uh, the monks certainly always were aware of death. Um, there was a sundial in one of the courtyards that was a figure of death, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the sundial itself shows that time is always passing very right. steadily. The sun rises and sets, you know, and, and, and one day will be our last day on this earth. Um, the, the, the monks, when they would uh, talk with each other on their, on their weekly walk where they had to speak, would greet each other with the words, Frater Memento Mori, brother, remember your death. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds very morbid. Right. Well, but, but in a way, it's, you know, it's, uh, if, if, that's, if that's the baptism that leads to heaven, then there, there's a sense in which that tends to put everything else in perspective. There's a, and, and you see that in the hospital sometimes. People who in their ordinary daily lives, might be preoccupied with all kinds of things. But once they're in the hospital, suddenly the most important things quickly come to the surface. I remember I was once doing hospital ministry myself one summer, and I went to a hospital room with two Catholic men. One was a homeless man who was in the hospital for a drug overdose um, and recovering. And there was another one was a man who was a an orchestra conductor who was composing a symphony and he had all his sheet, you know, sheets of music on his mm-hmm. lap as he was working on, you know, his composition. Right. And I realized both of these people would probably normally, <laughs> for very different reasons, <laughs> maybe not be thinking of, you know, of God, you yeah. know, one maybe because of his drugs, you know, yeah. another one because of his extremely busy professional and artistic life, you know, but, um, the, uh, both of them, because of that situation, um, being in a hospital bed, were suddenly aware 
of of their death, of their mortality, at least the possibility of that, and and it helped them focus on God. There was a young man towards the beginning of the summer who uh, had had been newly diagnosed with cancer, not used to it, very athletic, very used to running his own life, was thrown mm-hmm. into the hospital, and as soon as he's there, he's like, I want to get out. I can do this <laughs> on my own. I don't need all this help. I can walk mm-hmm. on my own. And he was discharged not too long later, mm-hmm. but then he was quickly back mm-hmm. and kind of humbled and realized, I actually need help. Wow. I need someone's help. And yeah. before he had refused the sacraments, mm-hmm. and he came back after this experience huh. of being humbled, this setback, and he's like, I'll come back to the sacraments. Right. It's kind of like right. God using that to like remind him, like, no, you need me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm here, <laughs> and you need my help. Right. Um, but we pray. I mean, we don't realize as Catholics especially the idea of death is uh, in our liturgy, in our prayers, mm-hmm. uh, in the Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. We pray at the end, at now, and at the hour of our death. That's right. And so it is something that's there, and it's worth praying about, praying for a happy death, but mm-hmm. we don't always have to necessarily yeah, be obsessed or preoccupied with it. We should still live. We still need to live. Right. Right. But yeah, back to that woman you said who really did prepare well for death. Like, what are some things we can learn from her of how our listeners, you know, can take some of those things to heart? What are some things you can do to sort of... Make sure you're ready. Yeah, so for a death to go well, I guess, is yeah. <laughs> a way to put it, is being close with the sacraments is mm-hmm. one. She loved communion. Every mm-hmm. time I bring her communion, and she loved her family, her husband. She was very devoted mm-hmm. and very prayerful. Um, but just being realistic, like, I can't control this. And that's kind of mm-hmm. hard, too, especially mm-hmm. when you're sick in the hospital, to so give up control because you really right. can't control right. most things. Um, and just being real with that and just accepting things the way they are. But remember mm-hmm. having that hope in heaven. Mm-hmm. That hope in God, mm-hmm. that hope in eternal life, that we will see our loved ones again. Mm-hmm. You know, heaven is beautiful and exciting, but the separation is still hard. Right. And so accepting reality as it is in that way, um, she was able to kind of just be at peace with right. this is what God wants. This is his will for my life. And she fought hard. She still lived. She fought hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when God's will was made more clearly known, mm-hmm. just accepting God's will and trusting him. Yeah. You might say then that in a sense just – we can practice for our passing to eternal life by realizing that we don't control everything in our life. Right. You know, that there's always going to come times, not only at the end of our life, but in many, many intervening moments and, and periods of our life where we just don't control, you know. And, and sometimes the more, we, the, quick, the more quickly we realize that, the more swiftly we'll, we'll, we'll run to God and ask him to help us. And I like how you said, like the woman, she didn't just completely give up. You know, she fought. She she did what she could, you know, to, to keep her life going. But right. she also realized that in the end, it wasn't really up to her. So, like that, you can almost say that that's kind of a metaphor for our whole life as Christians. Yeah. You know, we we keep fighting, we keep going, we get up every morning, we do what we can. But we also realize that we certainly don't control everything, and in the end. In the very end, we're not going to control anything. Only yeah. God, only God will be able to take us into his arms. And it's remembering that the end goal here is not necessarily to live forever. Well, that's definitely not going to happen. Or to you know, be the most successful, the most healthy person. The mm-hmm. goal is to be a saint. And right. God's using everything in our lives to make us into saints. Right. And so it's remembering that bigger picture, that real end goal mm-hmm. of holiness that carries us through the suffering, that right. helps us trust God more. And that just gives us... We can give ourselves over to his love mm-hmm. more easily, knowing that he loves us, he's wise, and is going mm-hmm. to guide us in a particular way to holiness, mm-hmm. and trusting in that wisdom and just clinging more closely to him. Right. Right. It sounded like, like the woman you were saying who, had, who prepared well for her death, that she also was close to her family. You right. know, she, 
she really loved them, but in a sense, they were able to to help her. They were able to be with her, and you know, and that's something that's. I always tell families when I go to visit a hospital, it's almost always a family who calls the priest. You know, it's almost never that uh, a patient asks for a priest. Sometimes, but usually right. it's the family because often by the time the patient is in the hospital, they might be unconscious or right. You know, barely able to, you know, to kind of like keep 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 their mind <laughs> going going in one direction you know so it's often the family that calls the priest you know so it's good to to let your family know that this is important to you to teach them about that you know and and to be willing to rely on them um for 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 that um I, and uh, and I think also to to realize that in in asking your family to help um if you are sick um you might actually be doing them a favor Sometimes people are really – I've met people who get feel very guilty about asking others for help. They feel they're going to put someone, you know, you know, put another burden on someone who's already very busy and already mm-hmm. very responsible for many things. But I've also seen where uh, when someone is invited to help another person, it kind of gives a new kind of purpose to that helper's life. Right. You know, sometimes they actually um, – encounter God in, in, in a very powerful way themselves, you know, when they're invited to, to be with someone and walk with someone in their own sickness. And in a way, it could even help them prepare for their, right. their one day, when their last day, whenever that is on this, in this earth. It often happens that when I go see a patient in the hospital, that the family's there. And like I said, these are very serious situations normally. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to acknowledge and see how, I mean, of course, the patient's going through a really hard time. Yeah. But the family, too. Um, mm-hmm. And realizing that ministry in the hospital as a chaplain is is as much to the family mm-hmm. as it is to the patient sometimes, right. and that you never know what seeds you're sowing among right. the family, and I right. mean among the nurses and doctors for that matter too, because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. see a lot as well. Of they see what the chaplains are doing and uh, see that, um, and is yes, yeah, realizing that families yeah go through a lot as well, and mm-hmm. that they're supporting and that they're sacrificing a lot for this person. Right. Um, and it, it has happened before where I go see a patient and I hear, well, I heard that you want a communion. And it's the spouse in the corner says, oh, I ordered it. <laughs> like, that was me. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like you always have, especially spouses, it's beautiful to see married couples supporting yeah, each other right. in the hospital, but watching out for the other mm-hmm. and making sure that they, you know, they're focused on getting better, but they can also help on the spiritual side to make sure they're getting the other sacraments, the, the sacraments. Yeah. So, um, yeah, families do a lot, and there's a clear difference when I walk into a room and there's family supporting, especially a spouse supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just much better in that way. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I've been joined in the studio by Brother Vincent Bernhard. Let's end with prayer, invoking the intercession of our Holy Father, St. Dominic. O light of the Church, teacher of truth, Rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then-